This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. For today's episode of the Heartland Daily Podcast, we're featuring a talk from Yeonmi Park. Yeonmi escaped North Korea at age 13 years old, in her words, for a bowl of rice due to the starvation and horrible conditions imposed upon her and her family by the Kim regime. Throughout her journey, Yeonmi has gained a unique perspective on the cultural issues facing America and much of the world today. And if you want to see this speech and video, head to YouTube and search for the Heartland Institute, where we've posted the entire event. Enjoy. Uh, good evening, everyone. I will come out of this because I'm pretty short, as you can see. <laughs> I blame the starvation for being short, actually. <laughs> Believe it or not, actually, we are uh, five inches shorter than our brothers and sisters in South Korea. We're the same people, but because there's one country has freedom and one country has dictatorship, uh, even our bodies became different. And so, first of all, I'm so, so grateful and humbled to be here. Thank you for the amazing introduction, and thank you for having me in this place. A lot of times, it makes no sense, you know. Uh, I'm standing right here, and when I was 13 years old, I was sold for only uh, about $200. Uh, my trafficker bought me for that little money. I was worth that little for $200. So whenever I have to go stage like this, I get so nervous, like, what can I talk about <laughs> to these amazing, smart people who've been reading books, knowing so much about the world? And this anxiety gives me almost like a heart attack right before I go speech. <laughs> and there's one thought that comforts me every single time is that even if I mess up on this stage, at the end of night, I am not going to be executed. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so now I'm back up here on this stage. Uh, my first book, actually, was a subtitle was North Korean Girls Search for Freedom. And my second book that is coming out in a few months is North Koreans Defectors Search for Freedom in America. <laughs> uh, I became American this year, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank you. I know. <laughs> All my life, I believed that you guys were bastards, <laughs> my sworn enemy. I mean, even in my math book in North Korea classroom, my teacher would ask me, Yeonmi, there are four American bastards. If you kill two of them, how many American bastards left to kill? <laughs> and actually, that was a one word. If you say just Americans, you're going to be executed. You had to say American bastards. Well, I became one of you now, so. <laughs> but while I was becoming American, I had to pass this citizenship test. And I know when you're born, you don't need to take that. The interviewer asked me this question earlier this year in Chicago, actually. I couldn't forget, and that's also why really I wrote this book. Uh, have you ever persecuted for someone for their political opinions? 
and if you do, you cannot become American, you know that? <laughs> so I said, no. And I said, that's good. But what cancer culture is, if anybody who persecutes for somebody for their political opinion, you cannot become an American. You need to strip your citizenship away and give it to North Korean people, actually, go away. <laughs> so I really couldn't believe how many Americans did not understand what it means to be an American? What does this cancer culture is? That how they are using censorship and canceling people and deplatforming people. And I was thinking, okay, then that means my entire Columbia University's uni uh, faculty members has to get fired, right? They need to get exiled. <laughs> so I try to do that now. Um, I was born in a country, it's, it's literally the darkest place in the world. In the 21st century, we don't have uh, internet, we don't even know what it, that is, and we don't even have electricity. So if you see the satellite pictures of North Korea at nighttime, it is literally the darkest spot in our uh, earth. I tell the uh, climate activist, we have an Earth Day every day. Please go to North Korea. <laughs> There's no pollution whatsoever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's a paradise. <laughs> so growing up in North Korea, I did not even know that I was even Asian. Uh, Kim Il-sung told, told us that I was Kim Il-sung's race. And North Korean calendar begins not when Jesus Christ was born, but when Kim Il-sung was born. We have different time zone. It is a different planet. There's only one reason I escaped from my homeland. The only one reason was I was starving. I could not find any more food. I was about 50 pounds when I was 13 years old. Uh, that was 2007. We had to find a way to find food. Luckily, we were living in the border town of North Korea. And at nighttime, I saw these lights coming from China. And that's when I thought, if I go where the lights were, I might be able to find a bowl of rice. So when I was escaping North Korea, I did not even know what freedom was. I was just simply risking my life for a mere bowl of rice. Right before my escape, this is the one thing that I remember from my hometown is, I got very, very sick. So my mom took me to a hospital. And as you know, it's a socialist paradise. We have free healthcare. <laughs> In free healthcare hospital, nurse use one needle to inject every patient. Nurse Christians do not even die from cancer because other things gonna get us, get us away before then. <laughs> I know most of people die way before 60 anyway, so now I'm actually 29. They would say that I'm like at the end of my life and now I'm here, they're calling me a young girl, so <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, and then in this hospital, the doctors didn't even have like x-ray machines or CT scan. They just rubbed my belly and told my parents, oh, she might have some appendicitis. We might, it might burst, so we have to remove it. So that afternoon, they cut me, open my stomach, 
without any painkiller. And they realized that uh, it was not appendix. It was just malnutrition and infection. But doctor got embarrassed because he opened me up anyway. So he removed my fine appendix anyway. So I'm going to sue him when I go back to North Korea. <laughs> this is the one thing I learned from my, my fellow Americans. We sue a lot here. <laughs> um, and after my surgery, uh, of course, I had to go to the bathroom. And we don't have indoor bathroom. We have to go outside, outside the hospital to go. And I've seen dead bodies every day growing up in North Korea. Uh, after Soviet Union collapsed, the Soviet Union stopped helping Kim Jong-il. So regime chose to starve us. So this here is another sad thing. Kim, Kim Jong-il's heard like millions of North Koreans are dying from starvation. What should we do, dear leader? And he said, oh, it's easy to do socialism when there are less people. So as long as we can keep 10% of people alive in Pyongyang, the capital, do not do anything until the 90% of the population dies from starvation. So that was a man-made, that was engineered by dictator. So he wanted to have less people in the country so he can manage and control us better. Daily life, people die. And in this hospital, also the same thing. There were these piles of dead human bodies. And on top of that, there's a lady wearing a flower-patterned pants. And her mouth was open, and as well as her both eyes because rats were eating her eyes. And that's the softest tissue that rats eat us. In North Korea, children even eat muds. And parents tell them, you cannot go bathroom if you eat uh, mud and you're going to die. And they still eat mud even if they know that they're going to die. That's what true, true starvation and oppression looks like. So. After seeing this, that uh, another thing is, I love steak now. The reason <laughs> why I love steak is because when I was living in North Korea, cows had more rights than human beings because cows could work in the collective farm. So there's one day my mother saw this young man's execution. He had a uh, malnutrition and TB. So he ate the collective farm's cow. So the regime executed him for eating a steak. So now I'm eating steak every day, and my middle finger to Kim Jong-un every day. <laughs> That's my revenge. Thank you. So after seeing all that, I realized I had to get out of this country no matter what it takes, which meant crossing the frozen river into China. I luckily found a broker and didn't even question why she wanted to help me to go to China. She helped me to cross this frozen river into China when I was 13 years old. As soon as I arrived in China, first thing I saw was um, my mother being raped. She offered herself inside of me and she thought, because I was only 13 and 50 pounds, I was gonna die if I get raped. 
But that was the only little time she could protect me from these Chinese human traffickers. Nobody talks about it in the West right now. Do you know there are 300,000 North Korean young girls just like me right now in China are becoming our sex slaves? Because Hollywood, American mainstream, American politicians, they wouldn't make money through having a business with China, so they don't want to talk about it. When I got to China, they sold my mom for $65. They sold me for over $20. And the reason why they buy North Korean girls is because, or because of this evil one-child policy by the Chinese Communist Party. They thought they had too many people. Again, communists hate people, right? And it so sickens my body to my core, living in America, when Columbia Uni I mean, professors telling me that humans are disease, that we are the poison to this earth. So in China, because it's Marxists believe that humans are disease, they make sure that women abort the girls. So right now there are, more than 30 million Chinese men cannot find wives. So what do they do? They buy North Korean girls. The worst thing is not even being the sex slave to Chinese men. There are four places they buy North Korean girls in the 21st century. Number one place they buy us is for organ harvesting. They buy us like pigs, take our organs out, and discard our bodies. Number two place they buy us is these brothers. They put us in a room, rape us until we die. Usually they last no more than six months. In the rural villages, the men of the village or the family buy one girl, and they rape her and continue until she dies. So I lived this modern-day slavery two years, separate from my mother. But somehow, by a miracle, I met a missionaries from South Korea. And these Christian missionaries told me there is a way out of this. And I asked them, how can I get out of this slavery? And he said, oh, you can go to South Korea, and how they go, I don't even have a passport. I say, you have to walk across the frozen Gobi Desert from Mongolia to China. By then, I was 15 years old. So I risked my life again, and this time, it was for freedom and dignity. I was fed in China, but I wasn't free. So I want to live at least one day like a human being. So I took that chance. The survivor chance of crossing the desert and alive was less than 1%. Uh, somehow, with a compass in our hand, in the minus 40 degrees, 2009 in February, we did walk across the frozen Gobi Desert. Did not get captured, did not eaten by animals. We arrived safely to Mongolia. Several months later, we were sent to South Korea. And I thought, amazing, like that's my life ended, right? But the whole battle began in South Korea because for the first time, the South Korean intelligence were telling me, 
sweetie, you know that Americans are not bastards. <laughs> we are not colonized by America. And, you know, like everything that I believed in North Korea was a lie. And in fact, Kim Jong-il was, Jong was a fat dictator that <laughs> he could not read my mind and he even went to bathroom. So I thought like, so if everything that I believed was a lie, how do I know what you're telling me is not a lie? I could not believe anything ever again. And also, I could not trust any man ever again, because any man that I met in China were my rapists. One day, I picked up this book in the library by pure accident. There was a little tiny book, very thin book called Animal Farm. <laughs> I picked it up because I thought it was a cartoon because like I'm very thin book. Oh, uh, I read that book and I couldn't believe what it was. I finally understood what happened to my country and my, what happened to my people. And that book made me not resenting dictator as much. I was in some ways felt sorry for my grandparents when they knew that life could be different. Because my great-grandmother, when they were born in North Korea, they did not begin their life with Kim Il-sung. They had a time before Kim's. So they knew life could be different. But when it came down to me, when I was born in North Korea, we did not even have the word for love or freedom. So this is why it gets really concerning right now, living in America, there's a huge force trying to control what we can say, what we cannot say. What word is allowed, what word is not allowed. Now, at Colombia they say, I cannot say the word white because it's oppressive to some people. <laughs> exactly. And in North Korea, they did the exact same thing. They remove the word like human rights and freedom and free market, of course. So we did not even know what that was. But my grandmother knew, but they kept it silent because they were afraid of getting killed by the regime. So after reading that book, I still somehow faced heavy discrimination in South Korea. Even though we are same people, South Koreans were not used to having immigrants Unlike Americans, this country is a uh, country of immigrants. So I decided to go to the promised land, to America, the best country in the entire human history. This is just not the best country in the contemporary world. This is the best world, best country in the entire our existence. So I came to America, and I wanted to go to the best university to study. So. I applied for Columbia University in New York. And I came. And I had amazing dreams, like, you know, becoming an American was more worth than winning thousand lotteries. I couldn't believe, like, why can you, how can you be depressed if you're American? Like, you are free. <laughs> I couldn't understand why there are home, like, homeless people on the street. And first, very orientation at Columbia University. The professor were telling me uh, that all the problem that exists and that we had is because of white men, because of the capitalism, 
So that really made me think like, somehow did I like time travel back to North Korean classroom? <laughs> actually, there's a meme they say, actually Kim Jong-un attended Columbia and perfected his you know, ideology on hating West and taught us in North Korea the exact same narrative. I believe that. And, and then I wonder, I asked my professor like, oh, I mean, I do think men and women are equal but we are not the same. And professor tells me, you mean you're brainwashed. <laughs> and it was horrendous. Every orientation, every class, right before the class. Even before I get to my classmate as an individual, what they like, what's their favorite food, what they like to do. My first job is remembering their pronouns. If you don't, you, you are a bigot, you might get kicked out of the university. So instead of like in the lecture, there's like a survey lecture, it's like 50, 60, 100 students. All I need to pay attention to is like, oh, what was it, like they pronoun, right? And it makes you paranoid. And the professor telling you that we need to stay woke because the enemies, the systemic oppression is everywhere. Exactly what North Korean regime does, making us paranoid making people not trusting each other, to divide people. And here's another really same thing that I cannot believe was happening in America is, my professors were telling me that math is a racist, and <laughs> math is a construct of white men. So I was like, that's interesting, I remember this story, because I remember at seven, going to North Korean classroom, my professor one day asked me, Yumi, what is one plus one? So what do you say? Two, right? Yeah. But my dear leader found that's not the truth because if you add one drop of water and then to add another drop of water, what does it become? It becomes bigger one. So it's not two. <laughs> that's why math is racist and white men's construct. So you should not believe the math. Exact same narratives happening in the heart of America, in Manhattan, in the one of the best academic institutions was happening. So that's when I realized I actually might lose this country again. Like I someday I thought like maybe do I bring dictatorship wherever I go? <laughs> Is this some my like life luck that I need to keep fighting tyranny or something? Because <laughs> when I come to America, I didn't expect this. And now I have another reason to fight for this country because I have a son. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, um, I had him at the Northwestern Hospital in downtown Chicago. I still remember. The doctor delivered a birth certificate to me. And it said his mother is from North Korea and his father is American. In North Korea, when women get raped by Chinese traffickers and got caught and sent back to North Korea, they kick the women's belly until they abort the child. If the baby comes out alive, they kill the baby. They do not believe in mixing the blood. So I realized 
this child is only possible in the land of free. In America, this child can only born. Unfortunately, he got the best songbun. This is what we call the birth status. In North Korea, if your great-grandfather was a landowner, they say your blood is tainted. Apparently, my son had a white father. So an Asian mom, now they call me a white-passing person, who cannot possibly understand oppression because I'm Asian. <laughs> so now he needs to feel guilty for the slavery that he did not take any part in. And I couldn't believe it. North Korea, in that country, I was got punished for something like my birthplace. I was punished for something like my ancestors' actions. America, we don't do that. We do not punish people for by guilt by association. That's not this country's about. But we are becoming more like North Korea every minute I'm spending here. So that's why I'm standing here to asking you to join me because I cannot imagine the world without America. I have seen the world. And the, uh, the inability for American people not recognizing the evil, that is very dangerous. I became a believer after I met the missionaries. And one day, in my prayer, I asked God, why do you allow this? Why do you allow this modern-day Holocaust to last for the last 80 years? And he told me, I left North Korea that way because it can remind humanity what happens when individuals lose their liberty. It's a great reminder for all of us. That's what happens when we stop fighting for freedom. So thank you for joining me here today, fighting for freedom and telling the truth. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. We have a Q&A, right? Yes, yes. 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 <laughs> we have a Q&A, so thank you so much, everyone. <laughs> I crossed two borders illegally. <laughs> but when it came to America, I came here very legally. <laughs> so I had to cross the desert to Mongolia, and then several months, they interrogated me to make sure that I was North Korean. And then they sent me to South Korea. So when North Koreans go to South Korea, we automatically become South Koreans. So I used a South Korean passport to apply for the visa to America. And I came here, and then I became a citizen eventually. <laughs> we are in the land of the free. You do whatever it pleases you. I don't care about the cultural appropriation, whatever like that. It's nonsense. It's, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> so in my classroom, my classmates, right? They are doing this thing called the green juice detox. Have you guys ever heard about this? They are wearing these fancy yoga pants and they chose to starve themselves like become vegans, you know? <laughs> and 
they are telling me that America is so horrible. So I was like, what makes America so bad that you hate it so much that you want to destroy, dismantle this system? So that's a precise word that professors and students use. They wanted to dismantle the current system and tearing down the Constitution. So I asked them, like, why is that? And they said, you know what? In America, we have inequality. So I was like, so do you want to be dirt poor or at the same time and starving instead? <laughs> it's a great thing that you can rise. There's a mobility in the social class. The enemy is poverty, not inequality. But people in America get so brainwashed to think somehow inequality is our enemy. So yeah, I think for me it's just so amazing having this much information and having internet and people still can get so misinformed. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to ask you a question. Uh, my name is Anthony Rosario. I'm from Young Americans for Liberty, so thank you so much for being here. Um, when you don't have a word to describe something, it becomes a lot harder to understand it. So what, how would you describe love, and what is its importance in this liberty movement? I know. It's, um, I, it took a while for me to realize why the regime was so obsessed on people not saying certain words. And I remember as a young girl growing up in North Korea, the very first thing my mother told me was, don't even whisper, because the birds and mice could hear you. She said, the most dangerous thing that I had in my body was my tongue. If say I said one wrong thing, and if it, in the eyes of the regime, they can kill three generations of my family, not just only myself. Uh, love is very, very complicated thing because that is the hardest word that North Korean factors learn to use eventually. It took my sister like 10 years to tell her, she tells her mom like she loves her or like she loves me. Because Kim Jong-un even banned Mother's Day because he thought if we love our mothers, we are not going to love them as much. <laughs> so he even denied love between mothers and child, the very basic love. I think that's why we need to fight for love because that's why we exist. We live for love. And when you live in a dictatorship, even that basic humanity gets denied. So my question is, now that you've seen America, and it's part freedom, part woke, it's kind of a mix, and you think about what life was like in South Korea, did you come here on false assumptions? And were there things about South Korea that would have made it actually, I guess I'm kind of wondering, South Korea must have been heaven after everything else you had, you had experienced. And so somehow you came to, you left that heaven where they spoke your language and you came, and they gave you citizenship and you took the risk of coming to this, this other land based on some expectations. And now you're seeing that eh, it's not quite what you expected. So I'm kind of curious to see here why you initially left South Korea for the US. And if you knew what the US was going to become or headed towards, hopefully we never get there, of course, but 
would you reconsider that choice? Thank you. Uh, no, because I sworn my loyalty to this country. When I became American, I'm going to die for this country. And when I came to America, in so many ways, America exceeded way more what I expected it to be. So <laughs> there was a game over moment for me when I came to America for the first time. I, land, I came here to study Bible very first time in 2013. I went to somewhere called Tyler, Texas. Do you guys know where it is? <laughs> Lots of cowboys and ranch. <laughs> so I fell in love with Omega right away. But the reason why is the, as soon as I got out of the airport and got to my dorm, and my American girlfriends took me to Walmart because I needed food to survive. As soon as I entered Walmart, my jaw dropped <laughs> because the side of the chips were like half of me. I'm like, this country has so much variety of food. I found a, like paradise on earth. So I didn't expect America to be that great, obviously. <laughs> and the reason I, South Korea is good for South Koreans, but because it's so geographically close to North Korea, North Korea digged more than 12,000 underground tunnels under DMZ. So when there's a war, they can invade South Korea. So they haven't still discovered all the downturner, down like under the ocean. So a lot of actually defectors get assassinated there. Um, they send them to poisons, like how he killed his own brother in Malaysia. And when I was actually doing this activism, exact same thing, uh, telling my story, uh, the South Korean National Intelligence uh, came and told me that I wasn't safe in South Korea. So unless I want to be with the three detectives for 24-7 every second, even before going to the bathroom, they have to check it for me, if I want their life or want to go to America. So I wanted to be free. And at this point, there hasn't been a killing of North Korean defector in America yet. So for me, this is a much safer space than being in South Korea. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot for coming. Yeah. Um, long time ago, so I had some friends from Cuba. And they said, if you're in Cuba, as soon as you start to rise up, the lawnmower of the government comes out and chops you down to make you all the same. And I was kind of hoping, after Trump uh, walked across the DMZ, uh, I was kind of hoping things would, uh, with, uh, would get a little better in North Korea. Has that happened, or is it still pretty much the same? Uh, <laughs> after the pandemic, North Korea got so bad to the point where uh, cannibalism is re-spreading. It was happening in the 90s when I was a child, and it came back during the pandemic because everything was closed. And during the, if the regime thought somebody was coughing, they would literally just like put a nail on their door and let them die inside, or take them to detention center and kill them, and just execute them. And that's how they keep the zero COVID policy in North Korea. So after the President Trump met Kim Jong-un, North Korean people have no idea. I mean, the only thing they can believe is like what the regime state television telling them. And the another thing about North Korea is that, as I said, it's a different planet. 
We don't even know what the word revolution means. We don't even know the word like distant means. They don't show us the world. I never seen the map of the world. Like if I were in North Korea, if I thought, okay, life can be free like this, maybe there's a chance for me to fight. The problem is, if you do not know you're a slave, you cannot fight for to be free. And that's the thing, like even in America, when these kids telling me how they're oppressed, like you're not oppressed because not knowing is a true oppression. People in North Korea have no idea they're oppressed. So I don't think it's gonna happen within North Korean people to fight back because they, just, they don't know what's happening to them. Hello, thank you so much. Um, you alluded to the fact that we still do business with China and so all of these things are kept on the DL, as they say, or quiet. So this is kind of a question for the Heartland Institute and you about raising more awareness of what happens to people like you, like to like educate, get a booklet like you have for the climate change and educate all of our lawmakers and all of the people in America about China. And do you buy anything from China? Uh, <laughs> I mean, what? Recently I bought something and there's a made in PRC. People's Republic of Korea, I mean China, instead of the China. I think, I know exactly what you say. I do think I do want to go that route eventually. And the reason why, that's like where the thing is like, a, we cannot force people. I think, you know, free market, I think consumers, we vote by buying something. Right? So like exactly you said, if we do raise awareness about the horrors and the crimes that CCP is committing, I do think eventually the consumers around the world gonna vote by what to buy, what not to buy. So I also believe in free market for that reason. It can solve so many problems. And another story about China is uh, this year, um, there's a Hollywood production company wanting to make a movie about my first book. So they wrote a script and sent it to me for the review. I read the script and I couldn't believe it. It said, China was my promised land. <laughs> Chinese Communist Party was helping me and rescuing me officially and protecting me. <laughs> yeah, so I asked my producer, this is misinformation, exactly what you guys are always saying. This is like fake news, right? And he said, this is the only way we can make a movie in Hollywood today. There's no way, no way they can make a movie about the truth, the truth of the CCP. So I said, well, forget about it. I'm not going to make that movie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hi, you uh, mentioned that you had difficulty convincing your Columbia pro uh, professors and students to your way of thinking. Were you eventually successful? I mean, your story has moved all of us so much tonight. I, I, what will it take to change people's thinking if your story doesn't do it? Well, you know, please help us, what would? 
sending them to North Korea for a month. <laughs> it's remarkable. Um, over the last 80 years, only 207 North Korean defectors made to America. Only 200 of us, so I always say that I'm the unicorn, actually. <laughs> There's no mathematical chance that what chances of me existing making it this far. There are millions want to be free and want to become like America. But the saddest thing is, so many of my friends, when they said, when, if President Trump is going to be elected, they're going to move to Canada or leave the country. I wish I want him to all go away. None of them left. <laughs> so <laughs> we need to count their words. Somehow we need to come with the respirator. Anybody express their opinion, they need to follow through it. And we do some exchange program with the people living in Iran, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, under communist regimes, who, is, who wants to die for freedom. They deserve freedom. Not the people who are so ready to throw it away because they don't know, understand what freedom is. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Part you so much, winner. everyone. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.